Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large Podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I hope you're all enjoying listening and reading. I am very excited today to have an interesting conversation with somebody who I think is really starting to push the boundaries of what we can do with lighting and lighting control and networking. It used to be that for every universe of lighting, we used to have to have one cable. And then when we had four universes, we kind of thought for a while, like, well, who would ever need more than four universes of lighting? That's, that's amazing. And all you had to do was run a, a snake with four lines. And then we go into Ethernet and then fiber. And now we've got millions of universes of data, ones and zeros flowing back and forth from for uh, at least 300 meters over fiber optic. And uh, things are going faster and farther every day. And now with this pandemic and we're all in isolation, we're, we're pushing the limits of just how far we can push those ones and zeros with without latency and I think we might have gotten to ourselves to the, to a level where we, we have the capability, but we're trying to figure out what we can do with those, with these powers that we've endowed ourselves with. So kind of to explore the possibilities here, we're going to have a discussion with a good friend of mine. His name is Nick Van Nostrand. He is a lighting programmer, designer, and director at the Focus Group out of Toronto, Thank you so much for joining me today, Nick. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. So I uh, I had a podcast not too long ago with Chris Gratton, and he oh, sorry about had, that. <laughs> <laughs> he swore up and down uh, for so many reasons. Uh, it was a wonderful conversation to have. He made sure that I reach out to you because he is blown away by some of the things that you're doing with that console these days. Um. Chris. Wow. Yeah. Um, Chris is a good friend of mine and that's nice that he had nice things to say. Um, unusual, unusual, but <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, Chris and I have been working together for uh, a number of years now and um, we just recently completed a project together, a sort of remote one, um, you know, obviously because of the pandemic. You know, stuff's a bit weird right now. Um, I think you guys had a long discussion about their COVID uh, procedures and the bubbles and all that kind of stuff. So when he and I were talking um, about how to tackle this, uh, this project, you know, there was a lot of discussion about, well, hey, man, are you actually going to fly down here and do this? Uh, you know, he tried really hard, I think, to keep uh, pretty much everybody who was working on that project um, local um, for a million different reasons, but um, you know, it finally boiled down to, Hey, I don't think it makes sense for me to fly down there. <clears throat> There's a million good guys 
who can run this thing. And um, so, you know, I did a lot of the uh, work from home and that's sort of been uh, something that's uh, been a bit of a trend over the last year, to be honest, you know, when this whole pandemic started, I thought, well, that's amazing. Um, you know, there goes absolutely all of my work um, because I live in Canada. There's not, you know, I mean, yes, there's stuff that happens in Canada, but I would say the majority, 90% of my work is in the U.S. It involves tons of traveling, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I, you know, when the, pande when the pandemic started, I went as far as to start another business completely unrelated to um, the entertainment industry. Um, and, you know, it's, I'm still doing it and it's, it's chugging along, but surprisingly, uh, I've actually been pretty busy from home and I've learned over the last year, a lot of stuff, uh, about what can and can't be done and what does and doesn't work, uh, remotely and sort of, you know, from my own, for my own projects, what the best way to handle it is and what things are best left to being handed off to somebody else and what things you can, you know, keep control of uh, yourself. Um, and, you know, one of the biggest benefits for me, honestly, uh, I've got a young kid at home and I've been home the entire year, despite, you know, having worked on a fair number of projects um, at the end of the day, when it's done, you know, I can walk back to my house, my studios in the, in the back in a separate building. So when I'm done, you know, I turn off the lights and I walk 20 feet into my house and, uh, you know, sit down with my wife and kid and sleep in my own bed. So, I mean, you know, you don't, the pandemic, uh, it's, it's hard because you don't want to, it's hard to take positive things out of it, but I think, you know, there is a silver lining in um, that is sort of emerged um, because we've been forced to look at uh, doing things in different ways and just uh, adapting, you know? So, um, so on the face, that sounds like an absolute blessing to be able to just go 20 feet and be at work. On the other hand, that kind of sounds uh, like it could be easily taken advantage of. You're like, Hey Nick, your console is just 20 feet away. Can you just go do a touch up at two in the morning? Uh, yeah, but that happens that anyway. Happening? That, that happens anyway, though. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> even if it's not, if, even if it's not 20 feet away, it's like, Hey man, uh, whoops, we forgot about this. Can you get on a plane tonight and go to whatever, you know what I mean? So uh, the nature of our industry is a lot of stuff is always last minute. Uh you know, like it or uh, hate it, but um, this has allowed me to sort of just jump around and, you know, be doing, I'm running my other business from here. I'm doing this stuff from here. Um, is it a long-term solution to do everything this way? No, uh, not at all. Like, I don't, I don't think you're ever going to get to a point where you're going to be running uh, arena concerts from your house. You know, we've always talked about that. Like, Hey man, wouldn't it be cool if you could sit in your living room and just do, you know, uh, run the lights, uh, you know, on a console in your living room and watch it on your TV. Like we've all joked about that before. Right. right. But the reality of it uh, is it's still not there where, where it does become sort of possible is um you know, a lot of this stuff that's been happening over the pandemic, it's all for film. It's all live streamed. It's all, it's, it's just a bit of a different beast. Um, I have done live stuff remotely. Um, 
but I think it's, you know, being able to work remotely is kind of most useful in stuff that's pre-recorded because worst case scenario, you know, we are still relying on the internet. We are still relying on all sorts of uh, different technologies. And if something goes a bit sideways, uh, you have an opportunity to do another take, you know, imagine doing a live concert and, um, you know, your Comcast goes down or whatever. <laughs> it's like, that's yeah. uh, not a, not a good uh, situation. So um, yeah. If somebody takes know, out a tower somewhere, your, your entire show goes down. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I don't think you're ever going to, you know, see me sitting at home uh, running a pop show from, uh, from my office, but uh, it has sort of opened up the <clears throat> option to do certain things remotely. And I think there's benefits both for designers and programmers and the clients too, you know, um, I did a project uh, for Ben uh, Deglish. Uh, he'll probably kill me because I always mispronounce his last name. Um, but he was doing some stuff in Australia. Um, well, actually, he was in New Zealand. The artist was in Australia and I was in Toronto. And um, they were filming. I think we actually, we actually did three different projects together, but... Um, he gave me a call and said, Hey man, can you, uh, can you jump on this with me? And I was like hundred percent. And that was one of the first ones that I did. Uh, one of the first projects that I did uh, sort of remotely. And it was interesting. Like, you know, I would program the stuff in my visualizer and then they had a guy on site and basically I would just send him the file. They had set up some interesting communication stuff so when the shoot was actually happening we could actually all talk to each other but the one thing that was missing was the actual control i was still just sending him a file and then he was just sort of uh you know it was time coded and whatever so he was playing it back and watching it and then i would make changes based on what i saw here and just go hey man here's an updated file with you know a bunch of changes um i later did another show um i was sort of on the other end so i was helping dan norman who was i guess uh, in la and i was helping with the shoot in toronto and he was using team viewer and i knew that always existed but i was always kind of skeptical of it because you know there was latency and it was clunky and whatever but watching him use it i was like wow that was actually fairly effective now he was just doing it with uh you know, on PC, on his computer at home. And it worked pretty well. And then I thought to myself, I'm like, well, how, how can I take that one step further? And that's when I started fiddling around with, can I get, you know, um, a command wing connected? Can I get faders connected? Because when you're filming, you know, there are definitely things that you want to be able to keep control of, like key lighting, for example, right? Like, and it's little tiny things where, hey, I just want to nudge this down or I want to be able to do this or that. And instead of, you know, having to click around with a mouse, being able to grab a fader and just sort of gently bring it down, it makes a huge difference. So, um, you know, more recently, we did a shoot for an artist in uh, the PRG warehouse in New York. And I got it all set up so that I basically could control everything. The guy on site was just, you know, or the technician to be there and make sure that the network was good and everything was working and whatnot. Um, but we controlled everything from here. And uh, it was a time-coded show. You know, we loaded the file on the, on the system there. 
And, uh, but then we were able to trigger and make changes and everything from this end without having to have the back and forth and the, the delay of like, hey man, can you do this for me? Uh, or the inefficiency of trying to do it on a computer, you know? Yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, you know, there are some things which are better done on site, but I think uh, there are definitely some things which can be done remotely and sort of, you know, what I started off saying was like, well, hey, you can save money for the client. Had I had to fly to Australia uh, to do this, you can imagine, you know, I mean, going to Australia is a huge process, right? Like fly here to LA, LA to Australia, you know, you have the day to sort of acclimatize and you go in, do your thing, blah, 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 sleep, go to the, you know, the whole, I mean, we all know about that. Right now it's it would like, be two weeks to acclimatize or slash. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I mean, I'm talking quarantine. about like in a, yeah, in a normal situation, even in the best of, you know, the best yeah. of times, it's still three, four, five days um, just to do that. Well, I mean, more than three days actually. You know, you can, you can be upwards of a week just to do one show. And that's, a, you know, really expensive flights, hotels, all that kind of stuff. Um, now there's pros and cons to that too, from our perspective, because we're like, Hey, if I can do this from home and I'm only getting paid for the one day, you know, how does that come into play? But yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother topic. But, uh, I don't know, like I said, uh, I think I said before, you know, being able to uh, shut my stuff down at the end of the day and walk home instead of having to go to sleep in a hotel, go to the airport the next morning. Uh, it, it was pretty nice. Um, so I didn't, I didn't miss the uh, middle seat to, uh, to Australia. I will say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, that is definitely one of the benefits of this. I'm so grateful that this technology is available. I wonder how far we're going to take it, though. Well, it sort of is and it isn't. Um, I mean, there are certain elements of our industry that are capable of doing stuff remotely, but it was sort of surprising when we started this um, how much our systems were designed about not doing stuff remotely. You know, had you asked, you know, had you asked me two years ago, hey man, have you ever done anything uh, from your studio at home? I would have said, you know, God no. Like, try asking uh, a production manager or something. Like, hey man, do you mind if I just stay at home and do this here instead of flying out? They just laugh at you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so this is uh, sort of given us the opportunity to test what the abilities are of our systems and you do learn things uh like hey the ma is not very well suited to uh you know a remote connection there is no way to uh, that i know of if somebody can correct me please do i'll pay you a lot of money but um as far as as i know there is no way to like properly connect uh, a console remotely and um take full control of what's going on uh, on site, you know, like with a, with a physical console. Uh, obviously, we found workarounds to do that with, you know, things like TeamViewer and then finding the plug-in to be able to use a USB wing and blah, blah, blah. We sort of cheated it. Um, but, you know, other things have popped up as well. Um, you know, we've all used Zoom. We've all used uh, Skype. We've all used all, you know, all those different programs. But have you ever tried to use one of those programs to actually monitor a live event 
I will tell you that it's not very good. You know, the compression that they use on um, a lot of these is, you know, all designed around voice. Uh, as soon as you get something um, in there with a lot of, uh, I'm not an audio guy, but a lot of fidelity or whatever, it, it, the compression just doesn't work anymore. And it actually becomes really hard to hear um, what's going on. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, things like WebEx or Skype or Zoom, they're not actually very well suited to doing that. We had one shoot where they were trying to send us the multicam stream over that and it was basically unusable so other things are popping up now um, and there have been other uh, products um, that existed more in the film world that are now sort of coming into our world a little bit more and we're stealing those going hey you guys have actually been doing this for a while let me try that um, and you know those those products are better suited to um, doing doing what we're doing rather than just uh, you know uh, a video conference per se. So um, yeah, it, it, it's interesting in that, you know, I thought that we would be more uh, prepared to do stuff like this, but it turns out that we've actually uh, haven't put a ton of thought into it. And, um, you know, but some people have come up with some interesting solutions over the past year. And I think, you know, moving forward, it's, it's, it's definitely not going to be uh something that everybody's doing all the time, but it has its place and its purpose. And um, it is, it's a nice tool, I would say, you know, but I there's think, still a ton of room for improvement. Yeah. I think now more than ever, there's a bunch of roadies going into the broadcast world and learning what the broadcast people have known for a while at the mm -hmm. same time as teaching the broadcast people, what we've been doing out on the road for a long time. And we're kind of melding the two right now. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I mean, I would agree with you. <laughs> uh, pe people in broadcast, they've been doing a lot that a lot more than us. They've been doing entire shows, staring through a tiny monitor from a remote cave slash truck slash dark room farther oh, sure. and farther away. Yeah. Now... No, I mean, there, there are still limitations too, because like, if you don't have, you know, broadcast monitors at your house or, or, you know, at your office or whatever, you're, you know, you're relying on whatever you can see there. So it does still take somebody on site to be able to give you uh, real feedback. But, um, you know, I was lucky when I built uh, my studio at home. Um, I had no intention of doing this kind of stuff, but some of the things that I put in place lended themselves well to doing this. I have a fiber connection in here, so I've got really good internet. You know, I bought really good design grade monitors and stuff so they're fairly color accurate um you know a bunch of things like that though it wasn't intentional for this purpose but it's it's sort of worked out well so all right so here's something that's a, a very real world situation that could be could arise from this yeah. you and i both live in canada both of us find most of our work in the united states yeah are you bypassing any sort of international law by working in toronto for a show in in la wow <laughs> that's pretty deep <laughs> um i don't know i don't i don't think so i mean god i don't really even want to answer that one that's sort of yeah. loaded. <laughs> I, like where's your I, work visa luckily i have a work visa so it doesn't matter i don't know no but i mean that that would come Oh man, what's that new law in uh, California that uh, 
that makes it really hard oh, for people to work there as independent contractors. Was it prop five Any, or prop A? Yeah, I remember that. Something yeah. like that. Anyway, that's become a really big thing now. And even when I go and do shows in the States, depending on where the show is, where management's located, where we're getting paid from, that keeps rearing its ugly head. So um, I don't know how that works. Like imagine if they're doing a show in California and you're actually working on the show, but you're in Toronto. Yeah. We're opening up some, some big Pandora's boxes that's a, here. That's a can of worms. I hope there's no, uh, <laughs> no tax, uh, tax people on the, yeah. Listen to this. If anybody knows the answer to this one, please, please feel to reach out yeah. to me. Don't, don't rat out Nick for anything he's doing. We're, we're yeah. just lighting guys trying to do the best we can. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, I am. I don't either. I am physically still here. I think it sort of boils down to it's like consulting remotely. You know what I mean? If I physically do a design and I'm on site in California, then I deal with all the you know the rules and the regulations that exist there. Mm -hmm. uh, when I do stuff from Toronto, we've just sort of been dealing with it. Uh, as the work is happening here in Toronto, which I guess in theory it is, but that's, that's an interesting one. All right. I don't want to think about that anymore. So, okay. <laughs> well, I'll, I'm going to take it one step further to something you and I, neither of us really want to think about, but we have to kind of address, yeah. are we opening us, our, ourselves to like a, a lighting programmer call center, whereas we could just have like a, a programmer, design center in India or they're just pumping out designs and then you and I can't even keep up and they're just designing and running shows because they've got the, the, the broadband internet. No, man. I mean, that's design is so subjective. Like, mm -hmm. you know, if somebody wants a Chris Lowe's design, they're always going to come to you. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think, uh, I think people are still going to go to the people that they want involved in the project. I don't think that's ever going to, you know, change to be, to be honest, which is what makes this remote stuff kind of handy because, you know, we all wish we could clone ourselves. Um, but half the time we are unable to take on projects because we're like, well, I'm over here and then I've got to go do this. And then, you know, working on multiple things at the same time is sort of been impossible um, I've actually worked on a few things at the same time uh, during the pandemic, just because I can, because the sort of uh, rules of engagement have changed. You know, it is okay to to do something remotely at the moment. So, yeah, I, but I don't. Yeah, no, I don't think uh, I don't think anybody's going to be stealing our job because hey, look, they're they they've nobody's going to call me and go, hey, I really wanted Chris, but we're going to hire Nick because he has his he's done this before. It's like, mm -hmm. eh, you know, that's sort of a bonus, but if they want your design, they're always going to call you. You know what I mean? Agreed. Like, yeah. Um, or I, we hope if they're, if they know what's good for them. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's uh, what has to, that's what's going to keep us on our games. We have to stay relevant and active and, and we have to stay at the top of the high tech game. It's, it's going to be easier and easier to fall behind. We're all going to have to have all of these capabilities. Uh, oh sooner than later a hundred percent man i mean um it definitely uh yeah it drives home you know being on top of your 
being on top of your game. And I mean, honestly, the people who have spent the time to advance themselves during this uh, pandemic, you know, in whatever way it is, like whether it's in our industry or doing something else, um, you know, those are the people that are going to get something out of this whole uh, whole equation because it really, you know, like I say, trying to look for a silver lining, it's kind of presented an opportunity to go like, hey, can I learn something new here? Like, you know, when you're on the when you're on the road all the time, um, when do you ever have a chance to sit down and go, hey, you know what, I'm going to learn this uh, new software, or I'm going to do some training on this or whatever. Um, we're all, we've always been so busy that none of us have, or a lot of us don't have the time to do that. And it is hard to keep on top of stuff. All the time we learn things by having, just having to jump into it, you know? So I think um, people have to be careful because coming out of this, uh, you know, the people who have used their time to, or have used their time well, um, they're going to have uh, a leg up, you know? Um, mm -hmm. A lot of new technologies come out of this. The XR stuff has really taken off um, during all this. So anybody who's been involved in that, you know, I think that's not something that's going away. Uh, here's, a, here's a question that came up for, my, for me. Mm -hmm. uh, when I did the project in Las Vegas, where I, I flew to Las Vegas, but I used to be very lenient with my pre-production uh, billing because... Normally it would just be a day of, you know, patching, maybe putting some truss, some lights on truss in the digital yeah. space. Yeah. Um, and I, and, you know, I would kind of just kind of let that be part of the, the whole project. But yeah. now we're going to be doing like 90% of the show pre-production. And then we're going to show up with a, a functioning show file and, uh, and everything built in 3d space. And we're just going to kind of plug in and we're going to, we're going to be losing out on like three or four days of pre-production. Are, are, do we still have to be adamant about the time spent per show or do we still have to be lenient? I mean, that's sort of a hard one because that depends a bit on what your workflow was like beforehand. Um, you know, before the pandemic, I had built this studio at home. And so I, a lot of my clients knew that I had the ability to get a lot of work done beforehand. And I mean, you know, when visualizers and all that stuff became more prominent in our industry, there was a bit of a shift from doing stuff on site <clears throat> to doing stuff remotely. Um, so, you know, my clients have always known, Hey, we can get a really good show, save some time on site because Nick will spend, you know, four days or whatever, doing it from home and then show up on site with something that's ready to be tweaked instead of like, Hey, I'm showing up on site and starting from scratch. I totally understand what you're saying about the, uh, about the stuff that we kind of just take care of. Like, uh, you know, if there wasn't a budget for pre-production at home or whatever, yeah, you'd get your show file ready. You'd patch things, you would do as many things as you could, but that was mainly just to, save yourself the grief of having to do that stuff on site. So right. if you've, you know, I, not a lot has changed on that front for me really with my clients, because we had already sort of built in that time um, to our projects previously. And I was doing that stuff at home. Now it's just the actual on-site stuff 
has been happening from home as well. So it's not like I've suddenly lost three quarters of the time, uh, you know, the billable time. Um, it's still there. It's just the last bit of it is now here instead. So I think that really has to do with what your relationships were with your clients previously. And then also now just making sure that they know that that's, that's what's needed. You know what I mean? And that comes down to the relationships with your clients directly and whether or not they're going to listen to you and you say, Hey, look, I can't do this in one day. I need, you know, these two days before the shoot to get something ready. Otherwise everybody's going to learn, learn the hard way, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. It's, a, it's going to be a tough lesson to learn because a lot of people we used to just, you know, we used to just do that because it was easier for us. And now it's easily to, could be far too easy to take advantage of that where next thing you know, we've put four days work into something to, to get paid for a day's work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I guess that just comes, you just have to really be open with the people that you're working with and say like, here's, here's what it takes. Here's what I, uh, what I need. And um, you know, I mean, if you're working with decent people, I think they're going to, going to understand that. And yeah. if they don't understand that, then you probably would have had a similar issue anyway. You know, they're probably the kind of people that are going to nickel and dime you on, uh, on a normal gig as well, you know? So um, where I think the, the real difference in terms of, uh, you know, watching out in terms of like how much money we can all make is really like, you know, travel, uh, all that kind of stuff like you know getting like i said going to australia that used to be a week-long uh endeavor and you know if you're working for the right person you're getting paid you know the same all the way through because you're away from home you're you know doing your thing now um if you're not actually working on something like physically on a console then should you really be charging them for it no <laughs> like um but before you know sitting your butt in a plane uh playing candy crush or whatever it was okay to charge a day rate for it. So, uh, <laughs> yeah a day away from home is a day that you get charged you know now now if you're at home and you get yeah. to have your own sandwiches that you made in your own kitchen it's, yeah. it's kind of hard to charge a, a per diem for that yeah. Well, yeah, the per diem is one thing. And then, you know, but I mean, then also you have to look at, you could say, well, Hey, now I can get twice as much done because I don't have to travel. I could pick up, let's assume there were more gigs. You could say I could pick up more gigs and just keep myself busy with actual work. Well, I think we'd all just burn out at that point, you know, I agree. So, um, then on the flip side, you know, do we then have to charge higher rates from being able to do it at home? Because if I look at, you know, what it's cost me to put this together, uh, my studio and, you know, having all the equipment and even the space to do it, you know, I mean, we've all tried to do stuff from our home. People with kids, I'm sure can relate that it's really, really hard uh, to be uh, efficient when you're programming on the dining room table and you've got a kid running around and you feel like you're ignoring your partner or whatever. Um, so having a separate space to do it, um, for me at least has been key, but it's not cheap. And then the real question is how do you let your clients know that that's something that needs to be compensated, uh, as well, because it's not free, you know, and that's benefiting them. They're saving money because you're not 
you know, like we said, the traveling and blah, blah, blah. So that's another discussion that I think has to happen where, hey, you know, um, that time I am spending at home is actually, you know, if you're, if you're supplying the software or the gear, or whatever, even if you're doing it on your laptop at home, you know, I don't care. You paid for, you yeah. paid for that laptop and, you know, the, the space and the time to do it. So these, these are all things that I think people have to think about and make sure that you're not giving your, yourself away for free. I mean, there's a time and a place to, accommodate everybody and i think uh you know especially during the pandemic um accommodation is uh been huge like you know the word pandemic rate keeps uh, popping up you know like well you know shouldn't we all just be glad to be working and whatever yeah but we're also all you know stressing out trying to find different ways to make this happen and keep our quality of uh service still still up there so yeah, that's yeah. a tough one. We're all literally putting our health on the line to go out of our house to do these things right now. And yeah, yeah the the margins are, are, are greatly decreased right now. The profits are, are minimum. They're slim to none. That yeah. doesn't mean that we're not risking our health to go out and do to do jobs. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, yeah, you know, the ability to do stuff at home, it means we're having to incorporate you know, new stuff like, um, beforehand, you know, I had this studio and I was renting it out. Uh, people were doing previs here and stuff, and it was great for that. Now that you obviously can't do that. Um, it's strictly just for, for me to do programming and shows for other people or myself. Um, and so, yeah, the revenue stream is, is definitely, uh, different, but I mean, everybody that I've worked with so far, I honestly haven't had to argue with anybody over, rates and times and stuff like that i think everybody when you say hey look i can just i can take care of it don't worry about it like i have the ability to do x y and z um and do it all from home people are really kind of relieved you know what i mean like i think that's why Grattan probably brought it up because it's these are things that have not really happened in the past and you know we just assume that the shows have to suffer or you know, your normal guy can't come out and deal with it or whatever, but, uh, you know, we're finding workarounds and, um, mm -hmm. yeah, like I said, it's not, uh, it's not something that necessarily comes, uh, comes for free. That's for sure. <laughs> so one of the things that you mentioned earlier is that you had to take a show file, upload it, and then allow somebody else to, in essence, babysit it or, you know, just operate yeah. it. Yeah. Do you find yourself having to change your programming style to match whoever the operator is going to be? Like I know for myself, I've got a lot of little tricks and things that I use that only I would understand without an hour of explanation. But do you have to like, I don't like to use the word dumb down, but do you have to simplify your programming in order to match who you're sending it to? Um. Yes. And no, I think, yeah, to a certain degree, um, you know, like at the show we were doing in New York, um, the guy, the guy who was helping us out, he was more of a systems, uh, technician kind of guy. Like he was like a networking expert. He knew all the backend stuff really well. I don't personally know how much he did or didn't know about the console, but when you're dealing with some, a situation like that and you don't, maybe you don't even know the person that well. So you don't know how much they do or don't know. You want to present it 
present it to them in a way that it's not going to be uh, confusing. And honestly, I think if you're ever, if you ever look at your show file and the thought of handing it off to somebody scares you, um, I don't think you're doing it right, to be honest. Um, <laughs> well, just because that's always, that's always, a you know, something that we have to keep in mind, you know, like what if somebody else has to jump into this or whatever, you know, I dislocated my knee on a tour once and was in a wheelchair and like, you know, then I'm like, crap, what happens if I have to go home? Is this in a place where I could give it to somebody else? And um, so regardless of, you know, uh, who's working on it. I think it should, I think it should always like, well, what's a trick that you have that you think would confuse somebody else? Uh, one of the ones that uh, bit me in the butt one time was I have a bunch of macros that take place in the command line yeah. and that worked perfectly in my user, but then yeah. somebody switched their user and I had, they, they're like, look, nothing's working. I'm like, dude, I have made this show so foolproof. And what they did is they just didn't like one of my layouts. So they, they cloned my user, created another user, and then tried to run the show, and it didn't work the same way. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's a double-edged sword. You know, we some people take great pride in finding really cool ways to um, streamline their show file or, you know, creating macros to do things easily. Like I, that's one of my favorite things is like when I started off uh, doing this, I've, you know, I've worked, I've programmed or been a lighting director for so many different people. And one of my favorite things is constantly seeing different people's show files. Like they always ask me, Hey, do you want to load your own, uh, load your own user into it or whatever? And I'll, honestly, a lot of the time I go, Hey, let me just look at what you're doing first. And then, if it makes sense, let's just, let's just use that. And uh, I like doing that, honestly, because I don't find it super hard to adapt to somebody else's style, unless it's something super wacky. But I mean, it's hard to be too wacky within the confines of what we're doing, to be honest. Right. Um, but it is nice because, you know, you start to learn, hey, man, I never thought about doing something this way or that way. But the double-edged sword is when you start to like, create things that are too complex it does make it really hard for somebody else to to jump into it so um i guess i would say you know a lot of the more complex things that i have are just strictly on the programming side um mm -hmm. so it's it's just tools for speeding up the actual programming when it comes to playback and the actual structure of the show um i think it just you know it, you always have to keep it as simple as you can without sacrificing the ability to do what you want to do because somebody else might have to jump into it. Um, you know, there's, there's a million different reasons. So like going, going to a, going to a festival and having to clone stuff, you know, I mean, if you get too, too crazy with stuff, then you end up shoot, shooting yourself in the foot sometimes too. So um, I hear you, but I I've, think it's easy when somebody, when somebody else, when you know, you're going to be handing it off to somebody else, you know, you, maybe you make a, a couple of custom things for them, a couple of custom views and layouts and whatever and go, Hey man, I made this, this is the super easy way to just get to everything. And then all of your more complicated fucked up stuff is in the background and it's there if they want to get into it, you know what right. I mean? 
um, things like you were saying about the, you know, specific macro and users and stuff like that. I guess those are, if that's something that needs to be incorporated in the show or you want to have incorporated, then I think you just got to tell whoever's yeah. on the receiving end what's going on, you know? Um, yeah, I've been to a couple of festivals before where somebody's brought me over and be like, hey, look how complicated I made this. You're like, wow, that's really, really complicated. You took yeah. about 100 keystrokes to do what we can do what we've learned how to do in like four you've made that very very complicated good on you yeah no and i mean but you know there is there's that but there is some satisfaction too in um you know in creating something that is a real uh time saver uh manny who i think you've talked to before um yeah i like talking about the file that he uh, he sent me a file for something that we were working on together. And I don't know if it came from him or if it was from the early bird guys or whatever, but they have a hold my beer um, macro. Can you guess what that does? <laughs> no. Okay. No. So you know, the time when you've been at the console and you are working on something and you're three quarters of the way through it, and then all of a sudden the client comes up and goes, Hey, can I see the, you know, or, or the director with the client or whatever. And they say, Hey, can I see this thing, whatever. And instead of like saying to them, Hey, look, I need two minutes to finish what I'm working on because it's in the programmer and it's not stored and whatever. It's literally a macro that takes that whatever's in the programmer, whatever's going on, takes it, stores it somewhere else clears everything out, allows you to then go and do whatever you needed to do with those people and then bring it back. So there's another one that says like, get my beer or whatever. And you push that one and it basically loads everything from that stored, uh, you know, from, from what it basically takes what exactly you were doing and loads it back into the programmer. And I had never thought of doing something like that before. Um, you know, you would always just say, Hey, I just need 30 seconds to finish this or whatever. And when he showed it to me, I'm like, God damn, man, that is literally probably one of the most useful things I have ever you know, <laughs> seen in my life. Because whether it's a client or somebody asking for something on stage or yep. whatever, like there's a million times. Um, and if you look at the, you know, if you look at it, you're like, well, that took somebody some time and some effort to figure out. And it's, you know, it's a little bit complicated or whatever, but it's super, super useful. So something like that for me, get as complicated as you want. If it's going to save you time and uh, energy and make your life more efficient, then, then great. Being complicated for the sake of uh, complicated is, yeah, I mean, that's a different yeah. story. So, that's like, and there, it, there is a lot of that because people get bored and they're like, Hey, I want to just make this crazy. Well, Hey, now you've made such a effed up show file that you know uh, you are the only person in the world that could decode that that's not a good place to be so that reminds me of the giffins of the world who will take a day to create a macro that will save them two seconds every single day over the length of the tour where over the course of a year it will be a beneficial macro even though it took them an entire day to write this one macro You're like sure when you add it yeah. all up yeah. If you add it all up, you're like, you did it. You took a day to save two seconds over two years and you did it. You saved yourself some time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a good point, but yeah. I don't know, man. I always, uh, 
yeah i think you should always be in a place where it like i said it doesn't scare you to hand it off to somebody else um and you know the things that are complicated are easy enough to just explain to somebody um there's no reason to keep it to keep something so simple like don't limit yourself by uh, going oh god I, I don't want to do this because what happens if i have to give this to somebody else that would just be stupid but yeah uh, i think there's sort of a, a a middle ground on on that so based on all this information programming getting moved farther and farther away from the actual show do you prefer designing or programming I started off doing programming. Um, when I came into the industry, it was when moving lights were just becoming sort of a thing, honestly. Um, mm -hmm. So a lot of my first gigs were working with, uh, you know, rock band designers and stuff who didn't know how to program moving lights. Uh, so that's kind of how I got my foot in the door. But then once I got a bit of experience, you know, I got the local bands and whatever, and th there you're the designer, you're the programmer, you're the whatever. And, you know, touring with Canadian bands, you just, you do everything. Um, when I started to get bigger and bigger gigs, I actually sort of steered away from doing the design work um, a bit, um, mostly because of what I saw, which was, and I think we sort of talked about this before, you know, if somebody wants uh, a Chris Lowe's design, they're going to come to you. Well, what happens if somebody wants something that looks different than a Chris Lowe's design? They've used Chris Lowe's on the past three tours and right. now they want, they, they want something that looks a bit different. Could they go to you and say, Hey man, we know you have a style, but we're over it now. Can you do something totally different or we think it's time for a change that doesn't usually happen even though you probably could we all could we could all yeah. force ourselves to go i you know go in a totally different direction and whatever um artists and management and whatever i think you know when you want a different piece of art you go to a different artist and so yep. that sort of um scared me when i was younger because i was like oh man there's no longevity with a particular artist if you get into the design side of things because, you know, once they're sort of over what you're doing, maybe they'll just move on to the next person. And I learned that because I started off being a lighting director and I, you know, there were a couple artists that I worked for where I did three or four album cycles with them and they had three or four different LDs during during that time every time there was a new tour there was a new designer and i looked back on it and i went holy crap i've been here for five years now or whatever and i'm the only person that's maintained this you know between myself and the designer i'm the only person that's consistently here and i'm like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with the uh, consistency and the paycheck over you know over being the designer now like there is obviously, um, you know, if you're in, if you like design and you like what you do, um, you know, you don't want to say, Hey, I'm not going to design. But what I sort of learned was that being the lighting director or programmer, you still get to be creative. You still get to have your hands in things. Once the designer takes off, a lot of the responsibility lands on you when you end up going to festivals or new songs come up they're not necessarily coming back to program a new song or whatever. So you get your opportunities to be creative. So I honestly sort of just said, you know what, I think I'm going to stick with this because uh, it's worked really well for me. And I've had a lot of long-term clients that, uh, 
that I think I've maintained because of that. Um, on the flip side, um, you know, as I, as I got, uh, you know, older and, you know, spent more time in the industry, I just went, you know, I do kind of want to be more involved in the ground up, like, you know, the production design and figuring out how it's actually, rather than just the programming of it, like I want to be designed in the actual design of the show, uh, be involved in the design of the show uh, rather than just the execution. And so I sort of started transitioning towards uh, doing more, more design stuff. But I mean, obviously with, you know, the bigger responsibility, there's more stress, there's, you know, there's all sorts of factors. So do I like being a designer or a programmer director better? I, I couldn't say I prefer one over the other. Honestly, I like the fact that I can kind of do both and I actively do both. You know, I, I, I've never been, I don't think there's any sense in saying, no, I just do design. I don't want to, you know, take over something for somebody else or whatever. I mean, one of the big things for me in getting more into the design was being able to be home with my family more. That's really like, you know, if you're a, if you're a lighting director, then you have to be on the road. If you do more of the programming or more of the design stuff, and you're just there for the initial um, sort of development of the show, then you're not away from home as much. So that's really what I'm kind of trying to steer towards is the just, you know, maybe not doing all of my work as the touring director. Like, I, I don't think I would ever give it up because I really like it. Um, and it is kind of hard not to be involved in the show. Sometimes when you have to hand it off to somebody else and go, oh, goodbye, you know, but. Uh, <laughs> um, With a, a two-year-old, three-year-old, how old is your son now? He's three. Yeah. Congratulations. It's, it's amazing how quickly our priorities change when we've got a three-year-old at home. Yeah, it is for sure. Um, but, you know, like I said, this is, uh, this has been, yeah, an interesting year. Luckily I've, you know, had a ton of time to spend with my family this year and really sort of think about like, okay, how do I want to tackle things and figure out, you know, how can I streamline what I'm doing? And then, also, you know, like I said, we've picked up other other projects that have been able to be done remotely and uh, sort of opened up that as a possibility for the future. I don't know how much of that's going to stick around, um, but that'll be interesting to see because there are definitely drawbacks to, uh, you know, not being on site. So Cool. Well, I can tell looking through at the time clock on your MA in the background there, which my audience can't see that we are just about out of time. I wanted to end with one question and it sounds like you are more adapted answering this one than anybody else. What should programmers be mindful of when they're switching from programmer to designer? I know that a lot of people can reach out to like, Hey, so you program these last few, sh last few shows for me. Can you do another one? You're like, ah, you know what? I really want to, I'm trying to move into design. I don't want to program this one for you. Just want to let you know that I'm a designer now or, or vice versa. If you're like, Hey, I don't, you know, I'm trying not to design this one. I want to become a programmer now. What are the, That's... it's a really tough question for people to answer when they're trying to transition from one to the other. Yeah. Do you um, have any insight on that? I mean, that comes down to, being a good person, I feel more rather than <laughs> anything else, honestly, because like in our industry, the higher up you go, 
the more it is about politics and all everything that comes with you know how you deal with um your clients how you deal with other designers how you deal with other programmers just how you deal with everybody because um i don't think it naturally happens like that where you go oh hey you know as of tomorrow i'm now a designer right like it that's not and then suddenly people start calling you going hey can you design this for me it's oh there's always a natural sort of progression i find where you were programming something and then all of a sudden the opportunity to do some design stuff, whether it be, you know, for a one-off for that artist or whatever. And then the designer, you know, goes, Hey, I don't have time for that. You deal with it or whatever. You right. Know, that's, that's to me how the transition um, or at least for me, that's how it's happened uh, a lot of the time. Uh, and I think in those situations, it's like open communication is key. Nobody likes people who are sneaky. If yeah. you're, you know, snaking other people's gigs and not, you know, the first thing I do, if somebody calls me and says, Hey, do you want to do this for us? And I know that's somebody else's gig, or I know that, you know, so-and-so used to be the designer for that. I reach out to that person and go, Hey, what's going on? You know? Yep. Um, and how, you know, sometimes they'll be like, yeah, they don't like me anymore. Oh, Hey, or, Hey, I didn't know about that or whatever, but at least you're, you know, you're being upfront and, uh, that, that is the biggest thing that I can say is if you want to make that transition, um, just make sure you're, you're a good person. Cause it's a, it's a small industry. And I think in order to transition up, um, you know, you have to step around people's toes. You want to make sure that you're not stepping on people's toes. Um, and it's a hard thing to do. Um, but it just, you know, if you're, if you're nice and you're open and you're honest with people, I think it's fine. And I think that's why, uh, you know, if you do those things, people will keep coming back to you. Um, because they, you know, it's all about trust and it's a small industry, even though, uh, we think we may not know each other. I think we all know more about each other than uh, we all realize. And, uh, you know, that stuff spreads fast. If you're, if you're not a good person, people go, Hey man, I don't, I don't like working with that person. So there are no real tricks or whatever I would say to becoming a designer. You know, you, if you're, if you've got an eye for it and you're good at it, then it'll naturally happen if you want it to or you can stay away from it you know like i said i actively turned down that kind of stuff for a long time because i just didn't want to go in that direction but when it was time and i was ready to start taking on more design stuff it's just you know how do you how do you tackle it and make sure that you do it in a in a way that uh, doesn't screw anybody else over really because that's the stuff that'll burn you for years to come i don't care how good you are you know you could be the best designer if you're if you're screwing people over, um, you're not going to be around that long. So, yeah, these are very wise words here. This is uh, definitely learned through uh, years of experience. That's from a Canadian perspective. <laughs> <laughs> if you ask any Canadians, the key to success is just be polite and uh, yeah, talk be, to be everybody nice guy, with. Eh? <laughs> just uh you know, if you're going to snake anybody's gig, make sure to give them some syrup. It's uh, it's the way you do it. Well, no, don't. The, the, the trick is don't snake the gig. Um, and I honestly, I've had, I've had gigs that have come up and somebody's asked me to do something and I've reached out to the person who was involved. And I found out that 
there was some reason that it did go sideways and that person's not involved anymore. And I've had people ask me not to do stuff before. Um, and those are all things you have to take into consideration when you're, when you're accepting a job, you know, like, uh, you don't, you, you don't want to burn bridges. It's trust me. It's not, uh, I mean, you know that it's not worth it. So, yeah. Um, make friends. No, transparency is, is going to save you. If, if, if you've checked with somebody say, like, Hey, can I, is it okay if I do this gig and they, they give you your blessing, then. Yeah, and by all means, you're going to, you're going to be great story. You know what I mean? Like, and even if you do reach out to them and even if they say, Oh, you know that, yeah, they really effed me or whatever. And uh, I didn't like how that all went down. The fact that you took the time to talk to the person about it and, you know, bring it up uh, at least shows that you're not trying to just do something in the background. You know what I mean? Like um, yeah. Transparency is key. Yeah. Well, right on. Thank you so much for your time. I'm, it's really good to hear that you are finding ways to adapt and transition and, and stay busy and be able to generate some home life. That's, Trying that's kind of what be. we all aspire to. Yeah. It's given me more time to watch your uh, squirrel obstacle courses. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> and the main benefit of all this, let's just be serious is that you don't have to wear pants to work anymore if you're working from home. So why would you, why would you so. even that's really the silver lining in all of it. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man.